If you've been enjoying the La Brea Purvea but not sticking around for the last moments, you should know that if you want to contribute, you can email shout at yallheard.me with your contributions, questions, or theories. I'd love to hear from you. Probably. You seem cool. Brea. Welcome to another episode of the La Brea Purvea, where we recap and deep dive into the NBC sci-fi adventure drama, La Brea. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips, and I was blown away by the finale, everybody. La Brea is like an incredible athlete. Every time it comes on, you're amazed at how gutsy and unapologetic it is. It's like the Babe Ruth of TV shows. It's taking huge swings, and it could care less if you like it or not. La Brea has its own agenda, and if you're not on board, you can beat it. But me? I'm on board. Episode recap. We begin the journey, and seriously, what a journey it is, with Levi under rubble from the Lazarus building. And here comes Eve, Izzy, Gavin, and Josh for some reason, along with Ty. They're putting their lives in danger to help the guy who put their lives in danger. Yeah, yeah, let's do that! And then, suddenly it's just later. Gavin is sitting by a fire with Eve, wondering how they'll get home with no Lazarus building left. Veronica buries Ella, her sister. Josh is being a tool to Riley. Ty is getting sicker. And Levi has some bruised ribs. And then we circle back to Eve, who is worrying about dying. The next morning, presumably. And we're going to have some major how-much-time-has-passed questions on our hands in this episode. Sam is ready to plant down roots make a society, and volunteer to run for the leader of the clearing. Lucas has also decided to run, so it's an election episode. Yay! Oh, and Lucas's arm is messed up again. Remember how from that taser incident he wasn't fully healed, and then he kind of was, and now he's back to not being fully healed. But everyone at the camp is set to reconvene in an hour to hear the big speeches from the candidates. Veronica talks to Lucas while he's writing his, and Riley talks to Sam while he's writing his. And even though they put a lot of emphasis on these guys working on their speeches, we never hear the speeches. So weird. Gavin gives Eve a bracelet, and she says that they should go on a walk in the woods so she can thank him properly. Like, people are having sex in 10,000 BC, and we know that, but calm your nut, Eve. We don't have to hear about it. Later, Eve cuts herself by accident, and that triggers a memory of the vision. And Gavin is like, that cut was in my vision. And Eve is like, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Eve, what is wrong with you? Levi is staying at the fort because Ty talked Para into allowing it. Since he has bruised ribs and Ty's brain is bleeding out of his nose, Levi, of course, suggests that they go for a walk. And that's when Ty has a chance to really stick it to Levi. Just wanted to say thanks for getting Pada to let me stay here while I recover. Didn't seem like you had another option. No one at the clearing wants to talk to me right now. I'm sure you can understand their position. Now you say fresh air is often the best medicine. Join me for a walk. This is a lot I've been thinking about. Levi, I'm not your therapist. Are you all right? I'm just a little lightheaded. And for the record, I am far from okay. I have cancer. And the pills that would have helped me were destroyed when you blew up that building. Ty, I'm, I'm sorry. You're sorry? I had a second chance at life. I was looking forward to building my life with Parda. And now whatever time I have left has been cut short because of you. 
Riley is still trying to process Josh being a tool to her, and Sam pretends that he's lost his wedding ring, but he didn't really. He actually took it off because he's kind of like accepting that he's stuck in 10,000 BC, and later Riley discovers divorce papers. Yeah, that's right. Sam, who has been telling everyone how to behave in relationships, was in the process of getting divorced from his wife. Riley doesn't take that well, but that's a little while from now. Lucas notices that Veronica's lips are cold and her hands are clammy. Google that and you will find a lot of things that that could be, but one stands out as more dramatic than all the rest. But in the context of the show, it it simply can't be possible. Nothing is impossible! Gavin gets the notebook from Veronica too, so now it all comes down to him, figuring out where these coordinates lead. And they do. I have no idea how they do without any GPS devices, but they do. So weird. While Levi is on his own, he comes across Kira. She says that her people need to rebuild and Levi needs to help them by getting a box that Tamit hid inside the fort. Levi's like, why should I help you? And Kira's answer is pretty straightforward. You displaced a whole building's worth of people and now you need to help them. So Levi throws one condition on the table. Get me Ty's cancer pills and we have a deal. Kira agrees. She says that this box has tools, weapons, and seeds. That sounds like a really big box, and I can't see Levi dragging that thing around all by himself. Silas is also up and at him again. He's looking over the notebook with Gavin, and he concludes that Dr. Moore must have created a portal that wouldn't cause sinkholes. So Gavin takes this information and crashes the election to tell everyone, we're going home. He gives everyone great hope, but he's not even sure where the portal actually is yet. Veronica tells Riley that she has a headache and she has felt nauseous. And while Riley is distracted, Veronica steals a pregnancy test from the first aid kit. Sorry, we don't know that for sure yet, but that is what happens. I'll talk about this a lot more in the What Just Happened segment, but for now, let's just go with... So weird. So our core group, minus Ty, pack up and head to the map's location. They bring a few extra people too. I assumed that they were cannon fodder and that they would be killed along the way, but they all live. In the meantime, Levi digs up the box, but Silas finds him. And against his better judgment, Levi teams up with Silas. Levi gets Ty's cancer pills, and Silas would play a part in getting that done, which may gain him favor when Para judges him for his past crimes according to the Fort Laws. So Levi basically already has the box, and Silas is like, don't you want to know what's inside? So Levi steps away to go get a big rock so that they can break the lock, and when he returns, Silas is gone, along with the box. Like, this is what Silas does, Levi. I don't know why you're surprised. Oh, and I would guess that this box is about three to four feet long, maybe two feet wide, and no more than 18 inches deep. That holds all of the weapons, tools, and seeds that Kira would need to start anew in 10,000 BC. But once Levi catches up to Silas, Silas explains that he wants to take the box to Kira so he can get up close and kill her for all the trouble that she's caused. But Levi, of all people, goes... Back with the portal seekers, Scott comes across a camp full of dead people. Cool, 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 cool. These people are ripped up, though, so no one can imagine what type of beast could have done all this damage. But Gavin also declares that this is where they're supposed to be. 
they play psycho-esque music as they go into commercial. But when we come back, they start investigating the site, and then they drop in this diversion. Scott finds a locket, and the logo that's on the locket is the same logo that's on a business card for a company that he was going to have an interview with the day that he fell in the hole. It must have been a very lax interview, so jeans, a shirt, a bubble vest, and vaping marijuana is okay. The company business card doesn't have a name, only a logo, so we forge ahead. Sam finds a lockbox in a rock, and that's kind of fun to say if you try it. Eve is the one who comes up with the idea to use the key from Dr. Moore's skeletal guts to open the box. And it works. Inside is another map. Because this is a journey, as I said. And no one seems upset about the fact that they just followed a map to a map, and now they have to follow that other map to a place. This isn't a scavenger hunt, Dr. Moore. But this new map seems to lead to a system of caves. And it's around this point that we officially discover that Veronica is pregnant. And it's kind of like... What the fuck? From ChapelHillOBGYN.com, most home pregnancy tests can be done from the first day of your missed period. If you're not sure when you're having your next period, or your period is irregular, take the test at least 10 days after you've had unprotected sex. There are some extra-sensitive pregnancy tests that can be done before you miss your period. Some of these can be completed as soon as 8 days after conception. But it's a little-known fact that conception doesn't necessarily begin immediately after you've had sex. In fact, it can take up to 5 days for the sperm to fertilize the egg. Even after that, it takes several days for the egg to travel to the uterus where it plants itself into the uterine lining. From sex to pregnancy can take anywhere from 2 to 3 weeks. And we really need to pause on the how for this right now, because I need to finish up the recap, but know that we will be jumping into this later. So aside from the dead bodies, the gang also finds an actual child. And I can't tell you anything about this child because I can't judge the age of children well. This kid looks bigger than she acts, so she could be 7 to 14 years old for all I know. Her name is Petra, and it seems like everyone she knows is dead so we can't just leave her alone in the wilderness. She's also German, and conveniently Scott knows a little bit of German, so they become pals. Through some trees, Izzy leads the Harris family to a field of those red-leaved trees that Eve's supposed to die under. Great work, Izzy. So they decide to send a scout team ahead to traverse the field of landmines. That's really just a field of innocuous trees. Nothing happens in the trees, Gavin. Didn't you see the preview it happens in the cave. And we discover what the danger that they are concerned about is from Petra. She says that there's a monster in the caves. And when she finds this out, Eve decides to run and warn the others. Inside the caves, Izzy and Josh discover signs of a really big animal in the form of giant scrapes on the wall that look like they came from claws. Gavin says, let's just keep going. Are you insane? Soon, Eve shows up. She has no jacket, and her shirt is whiter than a cloud washed in woolite. And this is when it all goes wrong. Gavin, in an effort to save Eve, gets pushed by the giant lizard, and then Eve stabs it and it runs away. But Gavin takes Eve's place in the vision. He fell on a stalagmite. The stalactite hold on tight. The stalagmite might poke you in the ass from below. When Levi goes to hand the box over to Kira, we discover that it's holding radiated rods that will power a portal. And just when it seems like Kira is going to screw Levi over, her guards are hit with arrows. Para's fort folks showed up, 
and they took down Kira while also securing Ty's medicine. Later, Levi is sitting alone, moping, and he tells Ty, quote, I took away the chance for a lot of people to go home. Maybe if I bring this box to them, it'll help. Why, Levi? Why would you ever make such a leap in logic? You're not wrong, but it also makes no sense that you would figure that out on your own. So Ty decides to go with him to find everybody and give them the rods, but I'm thinking, Ty, why don't you just stay at home with your hot wife? Come on, man. It also seems that James is alive, and he's been hiding in the shadows, and he has a set of portal batteries, too. Off screen, Eve must have smoked a lot of crack, because she has an enormously bad idea. Let's use the portal to travel back in time four hours so that we can warn Gavin that there's a big lizard inside the caves. Izzy is coming, too. So let's split up the Harris family yet again to travel through time. Oh, my God. Fine! The catch is that this portal has to stay open for the whole time that they're away so that they can get back. If it closes, they're stuck in the four hours ago past forever. Though it's probably worth noting that anything that goes through the portal four hours ago could also come back, right? Anyway, Eve and Izzy end up four hours ago, and Eve's like, I know where we are. I remember that cloud. So weird. The drama from The Journey Part 1 continues into Part 2, where Riley asks her dad, If you're not with mom, what happens to our family? Uh, I don't know, Riley. You just end up like the 35 to 50% of other American families that experience divorce? Get your head out of your ass! While Izzy and Eve are back in time, the portal machine starts acting up. Turns out it's overheating, and James admits this to Gavin. The cooling element depends on water flowing through, and that's just not happening right now. If they don't fix it, the portal will close, and then Eve and Izzy will be stuck in the four hours ago past. Meanwhile, Veronica, back at the holding spot with Scott, Petra, and some extras, tries to talk to Lucas about her pregnancy. But Lucas has something else to say. He tells her that he wants to stay in 10,000 BC because he's a better man in 10,000 BC. There's also a white horse that shows up, just arbitrarily. Yes, a white horse from no one knows where. Lucas says that horses don't like him, and the white horse agrees. White horses have a special significance in the mythologies of cultures around the world. They are often associated with the sun chariot, with warrior heroes, with fertility, or with an end-of-time savior. Both truly white horses and the more common gray horse with completely white hair coats were identified as white by various religions and cultural traditions. So while it's sweet that Veronica and Lucas are thinking of a future together, we have a bit of a problem. Veronica wants to have a baby in a hospital. I think that's fair. But Lucas doesn't want to go to a time where there is a hospital. He says that plenty of people have had kids in 10,000 BC. Why not them? Plus, he does have a criminal record in 2021, which certainly could impede his ability to provide for his family in a clean lifestyle. They argue about hypotheticals for a bit, and honestly, my relationship advice to these two, and you, listener, would be, don't argue about hypotheticals with your partner if you don't know whether or not you can go back to 2021 yet. Back in four hours ago past, even Izzy stumble across Levi and Ty getting robbed of the portal battery rods by James. So there's only one set, apparently. And it seems like James is going to kill them. But Eve breaks things up, 
and they get the upper hand, even though poor Ty gets shot in the leg. It's unclear if James did kill them in the original timeline, but after Eve explains why they're there, Ty and Levi are like, hey, let's join the party with you. While they're walking, Levi and Izzy finally have a cafeteria coffee talk. So weird. After leaving a note for Gavin, the whole gang heads back to the portal, which flashes out. Judah and Veronica have discovered that a big tree is blocking the water that needs to go into the cooling system. But they can't move the tree themselves. They try and try, but it's just no use. And then a rope appears, and it's connected to Lucas and the white horse, who pull the tree off easily. The portal reappears, and Eve, Levi, Ty, and Izzy go back through it. So we have our core group at the time machine, plus Levi. And yes, we will talk about this craziness later, too. So right before this, Gavin died, and he can't stay dead. So we know that Eve and Izzy succeed in warning him. By the way, this Petra-Scott team-up looks good on Scott. Normally, your hero is fighting for a lover or an innocent, and Scott has a reason to fight now. Petra solved the mystery lock for the pendant. Inside is a picture of her and her mother, a brunette woman who wears sunglasses in a locket photo with her daughter. So weird. Despite seeing little of her face in the picture, Scott recognizes the woman as Maya Schmidt, the woman who Scott was supposed to meet for his interview. Petra has a second picture that's not in a locket, too. It's a military barracks that were, quote, here, according to Petra. And Petra is already on par with the rest of the group. She sneakily speaks English and makes a deal with Scott. You totally understood what I said, didn't you? You speak English, Petra? You can trust me. Please tell me who your mother is. If you help me find my mother, I'll tell you everything I know. Everybody wants a slice. After Izzy, Eve, Ty, and Levi get through the portal, they find that, of course, as I said, Gavin is alive. Gavin has the gall to say to everyone, let's go home like it's that simple. Everybody's ready. They're all making jokes. They're smiling. They're getting all sentimental with each other. And James, who has been tied up, is planning his escape. James no longer cares about his family. He sees his family as an emotional distraction that kept him from succeeding in the Lazarus Project. Although you could argue that in many ways it was why he continued with it. But pay no attention to that. You know, I thought that family, our relationship, is the key to everything. And I see now it is the reason for my failure. Love creates weakness. Gavin, I let my personal feelings compromise my work when there should have been no room for that. I set my sights too narrow. I've been trying to help save the world when I should have been trying to control it. And now I am going to remove anyone and anything that stands in my way. While all this happy stuff is going on, Lucas tells Veronica that he will go back to 2021 and they should name the baby Ella if it's a girl. Why not Lily? Also, on his arm, Levi has a tattoo of the logo on the pendant and the business card that Scott has. So he works for the company that Scott was interviewing with. And a pretty lady named Catherine comes up to Sam, and she gives him her number. Damn, I still got it. Eve and Gavin are in the portal room, and she says, Let me give you a minute. Like he needs to say goodbye to this place where he spent so much time. They literally found it a few hours ago. 
But while he's looking at the machine with admiration, James hits him on the back of the head. In a scuffle, James shoots the machine. And that thing goes nuts. It's like Quantum Leap with all these years floating around on the screen. The portal could go just about anywhere in time. James almost escapes through the portal, except Gavin shoots bullets into the portal, and they go through to the other side and hit James. The bullets don't go back in time for some reason. So weird. In his dying breath, James goes, Tell your sister I'm sorry I failed. What are you talking about? What sister? Why have you never told me before? Believe me. When she comes for you, you'll know why. Sister! Sister! Outside, the sky cracks open and everyone makes a run for the portal because the sky is full of auroras from who knows when. Anything from any time could be flying through them. Since the control of when they'll go to could be anywhere from 900,000 years ago to 2076, they all decide to stay in 10,000 BC. So as they're running out of the portal room, they realize they forgot Moore's notebook, which would, of course, help them build a new portal somehow with you know, the resources that they have. Eve runs back in to get it, and the door to the portal room seals shut as sort of an emergency precaution because this machine's going nuts. Eve is stuck in there, and the machine clearly needs a human sacrifice because, because it sucks in every single piece of machinery in the room, and it even sucks in James's corpse, but its bloodlust isn't satisfied until Eve gets sucked in, and then it closes. That's just about it. In the final moments, the remaining Harrises are walking together all alone, and they're upset about what just happened, but Gavin's like, hey, we'll figure something out, don't worry about it. And that's when we hear a roar. And it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So weird. What just happened? There are lots of cases where I feel like this was edited together scraps of a story. Like, shouldn't there be padding between sex and pregnancy? And when Kira first meets Levi, her hair is a bit disheveled, but later it's all slicked back on the sides again. But you'd think that it would be the other way around. And Lucas, his hand was messed up, but then it's not, and now it's messed up again. And I'm not trying to write the goofs portion of the Internet Movie Database page. I'm just saying that these two episodes felt very haphazardly thrown together. What happened there? That's a very good question. How the f*** is Veronica pregnant? This one feels like a direct insult from the producers. We know that you don't get pregnant overnight, but what we don't know is how many overnights happened in between episodes. La Brea has always kept a tight timetable. If it's night at the end of one episode, it's morning the next episode. Nights lead to mornings, lead to days, lead to nights. So how much time has passed since the Lazarus building fell? You can't just suddenly have a time jump of a couple of weeks and not explain it. Give people different clothes, have someone say, boy, that building blew up two weeks ago and I still can't believe it. And if you're thinking, oh, I bet it's Aaron's baby and she's been pregnant for a little while, it's not, okay? That was a long time ago. It doesn't make any sense. Right, none of this makes sense, but you know what I mean. Maybe it's Immaculate Conception and she just happened to have sex with Lucas recently. That's just as believable as it being Aaron's baby or her getting pregnant overnight, but we don't have any other Christian symbolism in the show. My friend speculates that 
the producers figure that if you dealt with all of the other nonsense that they have been throwing at you, then this is nothing. But it's not nothing. Most people don't know that the lizard in the caves, the Megalania, were native to Australia, not California. So you can trick us with that. But we all know that you don't get pregnant overnight. We might not know how long it takes to get pregnant, but we know that it's more than a day or two. So why must you insult us, La Brea? That's a very good question. I was wondering, if curious people know about the portal, and they just need the rods to make the portal work, then why is the place empty when the clearing clan shows up? Shouldn't she have had some people there to protect it? Or maybe some dead bodies that were killed by the lizard? Like, what's going on there? And while we're on that, when the deal fell through with Kira, why did the Ford folks let Levi just keep these radiated rods? Did they even learn what was in the box? What I mean is this guy Levi... He's proven himself to be a little less than reliable, so so why would you let him keep a box of portal batteries? That's a very good question. Okay, so in the one portion of the episode. If the portal closed and Izzy and Eve got stuck in the four hours ago past, what is so bad about that? The clearing clan could just wait for them to show up four hours late and use the portal then, Right. Or is the danger that two Eves and Izzy's would be alive in the same timeline? Following traditional logic of linear time, that is the concern, but then that means that when Gavin doesn't die, Izzy and Eve don't go back in time, and when they return, are there duplicates of them? And when Ty and Levi are so quick to jump through the four hours ago portal to go four hours ahead, there's absolutely no thought of the consequences. So now, does this mean that there are two ties and two Levi's? And if there are two ties, I hope one of them stays with his wife. For as much as he says he wants to start a new life with Para, he doesn't seem to hang out with her very much. But to tease this out a little more, if James goes back in time as an old man to start Lazarus over, does he tell young James to forget about family? Or does he murder young James's family and stay in the shadows? Can young James exist in the same time as old James? It doesn't feel linear in that way because that would mean that Gavin and Ella would be little Isaiah and Lily when they went through the hole. If Josh and Riley weren't alive in 1988, that checks out. Since they weren't alive, there wasn't duplicates, but it doesn't reconcile Sam, Levi, and Eve when they were there. In conclusion, if time does run in some sort of linear fashion in the show, then Gavin, Josh, and Izzy will eventually stumble upon a second Eve in 10,000 BC, so it's all good. They'll have their mom back. But I don't even think you can get away with doing that because the show has no rules of time travel that have been established. Unless you're like me, trying to guess and figure things out, and you're watching hours of weird videos on YouTube to try to explain time travel in multiple dimensions and stuff. That's a very good question. Are the auroras at the end of the finale a malfunction of the machine and their holes opening across time? Was Moore wrong about his portal being so good that it didn't cause holes? Or was it James's rogue bullets that made the machine freak out and make the sky fill with portals? That's a very good question. Oh, one more quick question. Where did all these people come from? Petra's camp of people... Whoever domesticated the white horse, our clearing clan has been so focused on getting home, and I would love to know if there is a group of people that focused on exploration, but evidently not in the direction that these people were in. How far does this world go? Because Gavin fell into a hole in the northwest and ended up a short walk from the clearing. We've seen Topanga, Santa Monica, and La Brea, 
So really, we've just stayed within a 15-mile radius of La Brea. There's like a whole world out there, and my question is, who's in it? That's a very good question. Digging Deeper Lucas Hayes is portrayed by Josh McKenzie. That made me write Josh a lot when I meant to say Lucas, but understand that in the show, Lucas is okay, Josh is not. Now, Lucas joined the show in the second episode as the son of a police officer who fell in the hole named Mary Beth. They are both stubborn, opinionated, and a little rough around the edges. You can tell that they're related, but they operate on different sides of the law. Lucas is a drug dealer with a trunk full of heroin. See, Lucas is a jerk, but he's not as bad as Josh because he's not trying to be charming about it and then eventually coming across as a total idiot. Lucas isn't nice to his mom, but she's not nice either, so we kind of don't mind. Plus, Mary Beth shot Lucas's dad. By episode 7, we find out that Lucas resents his mom because she shot and killed his dad. She says that she killed him on purpose because Lucas and the dad were involved in stealing drugs from the police, I think the dad was a cop, and selling them on the street. When the dad got caught, he was going to turn in Lucas and say that the whole thing was his idea and let Lucas take the fall. So after bonding over the threat of being crushed by a building and sharing this secret, they get along okay until Mary Beth dies. And that's when Lucas pledges to her that he'll be a good man. And he follows through. In season two, he is recklessly fighting exiles to help the innocent. He's taking charge in high-pressure situations, and he's running for clearing captain by the end. He also found love in season two with Veronica, who's been on a real emotional roller coaster since the beginning. Veronica and Lucas both put up a tough front, but they let their guard down with one another. It's weird that Veronica becomes pregnant overnight, but aside from that and the literal white horse, Lucas and Veronica have been coming along pretty good as a couple. The argument to stay in 10,000 BC or not can certainly parallel any couple's pursuit to stay together when desires could pull them apart. Off the set, Josh McKenzie is a multi-hyphenate with a background in sports, music, film, stage, and TV. Among the talents listed in his management's biography of him are parkour and MMA. But the big reveal is that Josh McKenzie is a musical artist named Yosh. Here's some music of him from back in 2016. That was from a song called Dance. Yosh, all lowercase, is on Spotify, but his whole catalog is available on Bandcamp. Check him out. In the media reviews. The day after the finale, Sci-Fi Wire issued the following report. David Applebaum confirmed initial reports of a six-episode order for season three, but teased that those plans remain fluid and that there could potentially be more episodes added to Season 3 down the line. We're open to more episodes, and we'll see what happens, but nothing has been decided definitively. As for where they're taking the Season 3, Applebaum said that the show will remain true to the themes that have carried it this far, exploring the concept of family torn apart, 
and always struggling to find one another across space, time, and anything else that gets in the way. At its core, the show continues to be about this divided family trying to get back together and make it home. He said, That's really always at the center of the show, and that will continue to be there. But it's also a show about survival. And can we survive in this inhospitable place of 10,000 BC? When asked if he's thinking about a potential endgame for the La Brea saga, Applebaum teased that it's always been in the back of his mind as he maps out seasons and character moments year to year. And he revealed that he does have a potential ending in mind. But he's also learned to stay flexible enough to recognize when a new idea might be worth pursuing along the way. I've always had in mind an idea for where things would end, and where we wanted to bring things back at the very end with our characters, with certain tent poles to end the seasons, and some major story moments, he said. But I've always kept myself open to new ideas because you bring in a team of writers who are all really smart people with their own takes, and you get notes from the producers and the network. You just have to stay fluid in that process. But it's also important as the creator to have certain milestones that are rock solid. It's a real balancing game that you play. As for news about this podcast, it seems like the show is over for this year, so I could stop, but I won't. Like Applebaum, I want to be fluid as well. I do have some ideas for upcoming episode topics, but we sure won't be coming out every week. Please do stay subscribed for those interesting topics, a reading of that La Brea sitcom script that I wrote, and some seasonal-slash-topical tie-ins when they arise. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can rate us somewhere if you want. But if you have any questions or ideas about what I could do for some off-season episodes, please reach out at shout at yallheard.me. That's the email for the parent podcast of this show, Y'all Heard. If you have a dollar to spare, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash yallheard. Otherwise, enjoy yourself, and don't forget to avoid any dinosaurs you might see, whether they're a misplaced megalania from Australia or an appropriately placed T-Rex in Western America, albeit a couple hundred million years off. Music